Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. Data with the latest WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back once again, and we are here to talk all things WWE. And wouldn't you know it, we have plenty to talk about in the world of WWE as they are still a few weeks away from their next premium live event, Hell in a Cell. But the stuff that we want to talk about or that we need to talk about that we will be discussing in the main event of today's show, it does not have much at all to do with booking plans um, or you know future championship matches or major feuds or what's going to happen at SummerSlam. No, it is very much behind the scenes stuff involving Sasha Banks, Naomi, and Roman Reigns. So yes, three of perhaps the most popular superstars in the company will be featured in our main events. I'm not here to give you a countdown like Raw, so you know when Cody Rhodes is going to appear, but you can look for all of that to be covered momentarily here on this show. Before we get into that, before I welcome my co-host, Vintage Chris Benini, I do need to remind you that this podcast and every episode of this podcast So please, stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King for Vintage. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave a five-star rating on Apple. Also leave a review. Let people know how much you love this show. We very much appreciate when you guys and girls take the time to do that. And every single time we get a new five-star rating or review. We read it right here on the show. So I do want to thank Matt Farrell, who wrote on Apple. It's a good show. I have listened to tons of weekly recap podcasts and Getting Over is the fairest one there is. They aren't looking to hate. They aren't nitpicking. Highly recommend. I do agree that we're not looking to hate. Nitpicking? I think we nitpick plenty. So I I, I appreciate the compliment, but I do think there are certainly times uh, where both of us, Chris and myself, We'll find this little detail that really annoys us and we'll go after it. However, yeah, we do try to be fair and balanced, not in the way that that phrase fair and balanced has been used elsewhere. Uh, But in terms of professional wrestling, we do try to uh, cover WWE, AEW, NXT, and occasionally, of course, New Japan Pro Wrestling as fairly as we possibly can. So I do very much appreciate that comment, folks. In addition to those five-star ratings and reviews, you can also help us out by heading over to Twitter and giving us a follow at Getting Overcast. We always drop our new episodes first thing on Twitter. We also converse with you guys during the live shows. And we do live Twitter spaces um, shows for free ahead of every major pay-per-view for WWE and AEW. So again, do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Chris, we have a loaded show today. So unless you have something to talk about in this interim, I say we just slide right into the main event. What do you think? Yeah, everyone is talking about the biggest topic in women's wrestling and that is what is going on with Lacey Evans I don't know right <laughs> that is something else we will cover yes later in the show for sure yes but, dude, but it will not be the main event here yeah it will not be one of the two topics that we cover as we begin the show by sliding into the main event now Chris we are going to do a double main event today two major topics the first of course is the biggest news right now in professional wrestling Sasha Banks and Naomi walking out of Raw, seemingly due to creative differences. And the second half of our main event is going to talk about what appears to actually be potentially 
a unification match for the tag team championships, along with new information that has come out about Roman Reigns' new contract with WWE, what it means for his schedule, and how it seems to be creating major issues for WWE creative. So that is our double main event. There is going to be a ton to talk about when we cover both of these topics. After we're done, we'll move into talking about everything else that happened across SmackDown and Raw this week in our second segment, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. So Chris, we're going to start with Sasha Banks and Naomi. The first hour of Raw on Monday, and I'm going to deliver this to all of you as it happened in my life, right? Like, Like the Silver King sitting down to watch Raw, seeing things transpire both on television and on the internet. That is how I think we need to kind of go about talking about this entire thing. The first hour of Raw on Monday because of this was extremely strange because WWE goes ahead and announces a main event for the show and then changes it 45 minutes later, all to determine a number one contender for Bianca Belair's Women's Championship. Now, we're going to get to that very shortly because I want to get past what happened on SmackDown. And I also want us to discuss everything, like I said, sequentially as it went down Monday night. So very briefly and quickly, on SmackDown, we had a Women's Tag Team Championship match, Boston Glow defending against Natalia and Shayna Baszler. The heels got caught cheating using the ropes on a fall. Naomi hit a great springboard flying knee. The champions tried rent's due. Sasha got caught for a urinagi. Baszler punk kicked Naomi during a pin. Banks broke the Kirafuda clutch with a backstabber. Natalia tried a sharpshooter, but Naomi rolled her over for a small package in the win in nine minutes. Given that there was just a pinning combination earlier in the show in what was a Ronda Rousey-Raquel Rodriguez match that we'll talk about later, I didn't see why they would have new champions who were defending their championships and couldn't have just won with their finisher. It didn't make any sense to me. But other than that, I didn't have any complaints. I didn't think it was a particularly fun match, but nothing that happened Friday night was bothersome whatsoever regarding this match. No, I didn't even really have any notes down written down about it. It was just pretty straightforward in, in, in what it was. So no, no complaints, really. Right. So coming out of that, there's no indication, no inclination that anything is necessarily wrong. So Raw on Monday night starts with an announcement of multiple segments on the show. You had Jimmy Smith, Corey Graves, and Byron Saxton standing like right next to the cage, running down the match card, which I w- thought was a pleasant surprise. I enjoyed it. The cage was in the ring. You were telling people, stay tuned immediately for this big match. That all worked out. But as part of these announcements, they announced a six-pack challenge to become Bianca Belair's number one contender. It was Asuka, Becky Lynch, Sasha Banks, Naomi, Dewdrop, and Nikki Ash in the match. But what stood out to me, Chris, was it was promoted specifically as showcasing the strength and depth of the Raw women's division. That on its own was problematic, given two SmackDown superstars, Sasha Banks and Naomi, were in the match for literally what seemed to be at the time no reason whatsoever, and Nikki Ash was getting a featured spot despite being on a losing streak in a storyline with Dewdrop where Dewdrop's trying to like fix her and get her more serious again. So why the hell those four women were in this match when WWE on Raw has Alexa Bliss, Rhea Ripley, Carmella, Liv Morgan, Sonya Deville, not to mention Zelina, who was recently a women's tag team champion, Dana Brooke, the current 24-7 champion, I know it means nothing, but she still has gold, and Tamina, a veteran, on the roster. They could have chosen 
any four of those like nine other women I just mentioned to be in the match, or they could have chosen two and done a fatal four-way instead of a six-pack challenge. If you want to showcase the raw women, showcase the raw women. There's bigger fish to fry here, a lot more important things to talk about. But on the surface, were you as dumbfounded by this original booking as I was? Because to me, it was completely nonsensical given the way it was promoted and how many women are on that really deep roster compared to SmackDown, which is super, super thin in the women's division. I mean, in theory, yes, but also WWE does this all the time, especially in the women's division, gives title opportunities or number one op- number one contender opportunities to people who don't really deserve it. And most of those women that you uh, mentioned, not all, but most, are involved in some other storyline. So if they're involved in one storyline, they just can't be in another. It's just kind of out of the way WWE does things. But see, Personally, that's, that's the weird I, thing, I, though, I, because WWE yeah. all the time will do a match where people are involved in it and their storyline get is part of the match and continues. Like, you would do Rhea Ripley and Liv Morgan in here, right? They would fight, take each other out of the match, and then one of the other people would win. Or Rhea yeah, Ripley sure. would destroy. It, yeah. Or Rhea Ripley would destroy Liv Morgan, which then Asuka would pin her, and and therefore Asuka beat her, but didn't really beat her because Liv because Rhea Ripley did the work, but Ripley didn't get the win, so you could still do Ripley and Liv. So like that happens all the time in WWE. Uh, so, so, I mean, I I, I don't I, I would like to see that, but you did have Liv in another segment already. You had Rhea in a promo segment already. You, they were you had Bliss and Sonya Deville show. in another segment. They did. They yeah. So like they were technically busy. Again, I'm not agreeing with it. I'm just I'm not surprised that we did with it. As for as for the tag team champs being smacked on superstars, you and I have kind of gone back and forth on this a number of times. Personally, I don't mind it because the idea is that the tag team titles float so you can go to one or the other. I know it's only for tag team purposes. Personally, I didn't mind that part of it. So I didn't mind it in during the pandemic, like when they were in the performance center and they needed people and they needed stars on every show. It made sense. And when they do a singles match to promote in a forthcoming tag team championship match, I don't mind that either when the champions do that. But to be in a raw number one contendership match, when they're talking about the strength of the raw women's division, to have two people who clearly are not in that division, period, in the match. Now, there was a reason for it that we're going to get to, but it didn't make any sense there for that to to happen, as far as I was concerned. But let's actually get to the the big story. So, and I'm this is going to take a little bit because I need to really break everything down. But Chris, you're going to get in, I promise, to say your piece. So 45 minutes later, uh, Becky tells Adam Pierce that the match can't happen because she saw Sasha and Naomi take their bags and leave the arena. So she wanted to be the number one contender and just get a rematch with Bianca. Pierce said no. So he made Lynch Asuka one-on-one as the main event. In retrospect, it's clear WWE had to scramble here. But in kayfabe, it's strange that Dewdrop and Nikki deserved an opportunity only to have it taken away for no reason whatsoever. But I digress. What's truly wild here is that the Becky Pierce segment backstage was a shoot. And Corey Graves later made two comments about Sasha and Naomi usually being the utmost pros, except for tonight, unprofessionally walking out of the arena. That was a shoot too. And you can bet that was said live on air on behalf of Vince McMahon. Zero doubt in my mind. So what happened here? Well, the first report that came in was from PW Insider. It said Sasha protested the main event booking, met with McMahon earlier, and left the arena before the show after the creative didn't change. 
and Naomi walked out with her. That on its face, just hearing that is wild. PW Insider later reported the booking was for Naomi to win and become number one contender for Bianca Belair's Raw Women's Championship. Now, on its face, that sounds like a good thing, right? Naomi getting elevated into a championship challenger. But the first thought I had, and something that was later revealed in a subsequent report from PW Insider right before we came on the show, is that the creative was for Naomi to pin Sasha in the match. This despite Nikki Ash and Dewdrop being there. That would have been unnecessary and completely objectionable. I think we can probably agree on that. And then, as we're trying to digest all of this news that's coming out, WWE released a statement like a full press release statement during the Raw broadcast, which is exceptionally strange on its own, but even stranger when you consider the contents of it, which I'm going to read to you right now. This is all verbatim. When Sasha Banks and Naomi arrived at the arena this afternoon, they were informed of their participation in the main event of tonight's Monday Night Raw. During the broadcast, they walked into WWE Head of Talent Relations, John Laurinaitis's office with their suitcases in hand, placed their tag team championship belts on his desk, by the way, belts in a press release from WWE, and walked out. They claimed they weren't respected enough as tag team champions. And even though they had eight hours to rehearse and construct their match, they claimed they were, they were uncomfortable in the ring with two of their opponents, even though they had matches with those individuals in the past with no consequence. Monday Night Raw is a scripted live TV show whose characters are expected to perform the requirements of their contract. We regret we were unable to deliver as advertised tonight's main event. Now, there is what could potentially be another side of this story. From someone who posted a thread on Twitter, that person is presumably close with Naomi. But absolutely no one has confirmed like who this person is, if what they said is legitimate. So I'm not going to read it verbatim. But I am going to shorthand it because... A lot of it did seem to get uh, confirmed right before we got on the air today. To shorthand it, the claims from this person is that the tag team division hadn't been handled well, no shit, uh, and WWE was going to put both Naomi against Bianca Belair and Sasha against Ronda Rousey in singles championship matches to help get the champions, Belair and Rousey, and their titles more over. They didn't like that. Producers got mad at them for voicing their displeasure multiple times, and then they walked out of the arena. PW Insider this morning did report something similar, saying the anger kind of all stemmed from the tag team championships not being treated as important and basically being put on the back burner for these singles feuds. The idea being these matches would happen at Hell in a Cell and the tag team championships would kind of just be on their shoulders, probably until Money in the Bank, that, you know, until there was a feud set for Money in the Bank. I want to focus on the statement from WWE because it's wild no matter what way you look at it. Like if you look at it as this is exactly what happened, I trust WWE. Or if you look at it as, well, parts of this are probably true, but maybe parts of this are exaggerated. No matter which way you look at it, it's crazy. WWE talks about two of their top female talents walking out and leaving their titles behind. They also admitted in there that the show was rehearsed and scripted. And granted, it's 2022. Everyone knows that. But to put it in a press release like that is very strange. That's crazy to see. It also lends credence, in my opinion, to a lot of their statement being accurate. Not necessarily all of it, but a lot of it. It's one thing, in my opinion, Chris, to voice your displeasure at a job and protest, but do what you're being asked anyway. 
It's also one thing to voice your displeasure and perhaps not show up for work or say, that is not something I am going to do. But generally, that happens like ahead of time. If they got there eight hours earlier and knew this is something that was happening or could happen later in the show, you kind of need to be in a position to say, well, we're not going to do that. So we're either going to leave for the day or change it. If they legitimately walked out during the live show over a simple disagreement with creative, not something putting their health in danger, not something that would have been offensive, perhaps, uh, you know, due to them being females or racially, or if it's not one of those two categories and it's just a disagreement over basic creative, I don't know how that can be defended. Like you can want to support Sasha Banks and Naomi and have their backs. And I love Sasha Banks and Naomi as wrestlers and entertainers, but it's really tough to defend walking out during a live show or even like within 30 minutes or 60 minutes of a live show. That is straight up unprofessional. I'm not trying to use WWE's line. I'm just saying on the surface, that action is unprofessional unless your health is at risk or it's something truly offensive like I just mentioned. The line about Sasha and Naomi claiming they weren't respected enough as tag team champions, that completely tracks with the Twitter thread. It's, mm-hmm. I agree, Chris, that it is ridiculous to creative to have Naomi become number one contender, but at the same time, two tag team champions getting singles title matches, even in losing efforts, that's not really something you walk out over. And by the way, it's something that Sasha Banks did during the pandemic with Bailey. Now, they ended up winning the titles in that circumstance, but it was the same thing. They were the women's tag team champions and they were involved in singles feuds and the tag team titles kind of were secondary thoughts until the Kabuki Warriors ended up being the challengers for them. It's also weird that WWE included in that statement them being uncomfortable with two of the women in the match who they've wrestled numerous times. That, to me, Chris, is the one part of the statement that doesn't track. It also just felt unnecessary to be in there, especially if you're WWE, because safety is one of the legitimate reasons for someone to walk out. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, if if Bret Hart returned and they're like, you need to fight Goldberg, he's like, well, I'm not doing that. You know, because he hates Goldberg and Goldberg is unsafe, according to Bret Hart and many other people. That makes sense. That is a legitimate reason, potentially. And WWE, it seemed, was creating or trying to create a narrative to show that they were illegitimate reasons. So this is just massive news, Chris. It's akin to WWE saying to Stone Cold Steve Austin 20 years ago that he took his ball and went home when he walked out. And we know what that rift led to. But just like with the Roman Reigns stuff last week, it's almost impossible for us to have intelligent, well-reasoned opinions here because we simply don't know what actually happened. I do think it's fair to say this is not a one-sided issue. I can agree with Sasha Banks and Naomi on some of this, and I can agree with WWE on some of this because walking out live during a show over what appears to be minor, in my opinion, creative differences, that is not good. That is not what you would want one of your talents and two of your biggest talents that people love to do. So the truth and the quote unquote blame is probably somewhere in the middle. It was probably bad creative. They were probably right to disagree with it, but also they probably should not have walked out. But again, it's so impossible for us to say because we don't know what the actual facts are. Man, where, where do you even start with this? So I hope I didn't take state, all the air out from you here. I just, I no, felt like I've if got, I didn't I've go through the whole thing, you know, I don't know what else I would have done there. 
Yeah, go ahead. I've got a I've got a lot of notes. The 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 statement. It, it was it was a very weird statement, kind of mixing third rail stuff like safety with kayfabe names. That's a point that Stephen Godfrey made earlier today. It didn't say Mercedes Vernado. It didn't say Trinity Fatu. It, it, right. it said they're kayfabe names. And but that and so that's what made people think, hey, is this is this a work? But when you include that line that they didn't feel safe with some wrestlers in the ring, that throws everybody under the bus. It, it, it all six of the women via Sasha and, and Naomi, whatever. I can't it really throws to be included in that part. I know. I know. I just talked for like five minutes, but I just wanted to say it really throws Banks yeah. and Naomi under the bus more than it does yes. the other women. Well, it does, but it also throws the other via saying, "Hey, Naomi and Sasha don't think they're safe workers," and if you're a Sasha fan. Maybe you maybe you'll agree with that or something like that. Like, it, it's incredibly divisive to include a line like that, and that's what that's the line that made me think, okay, this is this is real. Um, it was weird that it said belts instead of titles, but I don't know. Maybe that was maybe that was an emphasis. It's so random. Seem more real. So random. I don't know. But so I went. So after Raw went off the air, I pulled up Peacock and watched uh, a 2002 episode of WWE Confidential. With Mean Gene Okerlund. It's episode four if you, if you go find it on Peacock. It's the episode when Stone Cold Steve Austin walked out. And do you remember the show Bite This? Absolutely. B-Y-T-E. It was, it was, this. Yeah. yeah, B-Y-T. It was Kevin Kelly. And they like talked about real things. And so like they had had Stone Cold Steve Austin on a couple weeks prior with him calling the creative piss poor and stuff like that. And I can't believe this was a real show. I was out of wrestling. I got out of wrestling in like late 2001. So I didn't really catch this the first time it went around. I can't believe this was a real show. It would be nuts if this was a thing that was still going on. They were basically doing real life dirt sheet type shoot interviews uh, on a WWE product. Mm -hmm. it, it was crazy. But so, so, so they're talking about Austin leaving. They interview Jim Ross, who's talent relations. They interview Vince. They've got all this sad and dramatic music playing, and it's really, like, emotional. And there's a line from Vince McMahon in this interview that really stands out. He says, uh, on the idea of walking out, he said, uh, on the day of the show, he says, quote, that is the only unpardonable sin in our business. Our fans are expecting to see you. It's the worst thing that can happen. For, for, for Sasha and Naomi to walk out during a taping is... Or even if it was as it was it's, starting or right around that yeah, time. Yeah, it is is remarkable. It was after they had already announced the main event. That that is that is remarkable. And by the way, over so, over yeah. creative, like not over yes, not not over something that's a health risk or a right. storyline that is uh, you know plainly objectionable. Look, which there have been plenty of those in WWE's history. But over yeah. her winning, Naomi winning a number one right. contendership match. Right. Look, we we support the wrestlers over the corporations in almost every instance here. We have we you might get into the MJF stuff on Thursday show. We, we, oh, we, we support will. the wrestlers in this in, in in all these endeavors. But if you're walking out, if it's true that you are walking out while you're about to have title shots, singles title shots, even if you lose, like nah, like that that ain't it. Like that that's too much. That's that's that that's too much complaining. Like I, I get the tag team titles mean a lot to you, and maybe you don't want to lose those matches. But 
Like that's that's the job. Like you're you're not being buried. You're not losing the titles. You're not doing all these things. You're getting you're getting number one contender spots at a pay per view. If that's true, I don't understand walking out over that. Now remember, Sasha Banks did quit. Tried to quit in 2019. She did. And I I talked to her about this for my story in the Athletic a couple months a couple weeks back. It was right after they had uh. They had had the tag team titles, which were pretty new, early 2019. Her and Bailey win the titles. Sasha had tried to hide a dislocated shoulder injury from WWE because she really wanted these titles to happen, and she wanted her and Bailey to be the ones to get them. They get them. Two months later, they lose them at WrestleMania. Reportedly at the time, Vince was a last-minute change, took the titles off of them. Sasha, a mix of frustration with that, depression, and a lot of things, she tried to quit. She walked to Vince and said, I'm out. He said, take 30 days. Ended up being a few months. So the tag team titles mean a hell of a lot to Sasha Banks. Absolutely. And the creative around the women's tag team titles has been terrible almost the entire time. Mm-hmm. Except maybe generally when Sasha has them. WWE has done nothing really to develop, promote Sasha and Naomi as a team. Other than just they have some matches. Uh, I Sasha, disagree with I'm, that. I, I disagree that they don't promote them as a team. They, they've promoted okay, them not, very not promote, well as a team. But, but the they don't build them. They haven't the, built the division no, around them. Correct. There's yeah. no there, there's no stories really going on other than like a couple people beat a couple people. Correct. They're, they're not Agreed. elevating yeah. these titles. These titles have been treated like crap the whole time. Sasha on her social media has been promoting the hell out of her and, self, her and Naomi and the tag team titles trying to make these things a big deal. So if she's upset that the tag titles aren't being taken seriously, that's very real because they're not. Mm-hmm. But it's also nothing new. And it's not something I think getting singles title shots over worth walking out. I mean, it's it's like WWE. And again, it's, they've done this so many times. They see the women's tag team champions usually as other top women in the company that they want to feature and put on shows. The creative is bad. Like there's, there's no disagreement that when you have this many people, this many women on your roster to many times only have the only tag team be the champions and have to force create tag teams just for major events like WrestleMania, just so you can have tag team matches and then break them up Mm -hmm. immediately after. There's really no defending the creative around the women's tag team championships. When you have, uh, I was almost called her Casey Catanzaro, but um, Katana Chance and Mm -hmm. and, uh, Caden Carter down in NXT, a ready set women's tag team that you won't call up to the main roster. When you have tons of women around, in WWE that you could make into legitimate tag teams long-term so that they could compete in this division and succeed. And they just don't do it or when they do it and people actually start liking a team, Rhea Ripley and Liv Morgan, you say, holy shit, that works really well. And they're super over. They break them up. up. Now that was for a storyline reason and they did have plans doing that. So it's not going to criticize that in particular, but it is a microcosm of a larger issue. The Zelina Vega and Carmella team. The Natalia and Shayna Baszler team, I'm sure they're going to break up very soon. Uh, you know, they're just now putting Dewdrop and Nikki Ash together when previously neither of them were involved in anything. Nikki was in a try and fail tag team with Rhea Ripley, and which broke up, of course, for similar reasons. So, yes, the booking of this division is abhorrent. It truly is terrible. But you don't walk out during a show. What you do is you do what they tell you to do. Now, okay, let me let me take that back briefly. In most circumstances that aren't involving becoming a number one contender, 
You do what they tell you to do. And then after the show, you say, I am not going to do anything like that again. I will walk out next time. Like you give an ultimatum or you say, I will not be at the show next week or whatever the case. You do your job and then you say that. The difficulty here and why this may have been slightly different is if they didn't walk out and they did do their job, they would have had no choice but to pretty much go along with what WWE was saying because Naomi right, was booked right. to win. And then they would have booked Sasha Banks to win something, whatever they're going to do Friday on SmackDown to make her number one contender for Ronda Rousey. So I do understand that being a little bit different. But if that's the case, and yes, they do get their creative plans early in the day. And yes, I know WWE frequently changes them. There's all those reports of Vince McMahon tearing up scripts right before time. He doesn't really do that. What he does is he makes incremental changes and moves things around. That's what really happens backstage. So they did know that this was the booking all day. If three hours before broadcast, they said, we refuse to do this and walked out, or we will walk out if this isn't changed, I would I would support them. I would say, you know what? I still don't really love that, but they gave WWE plenty of time to book around it. They made their displeasure heard, whatever. But to do it at any time around a broadcast beginning, after it's begun, any of that type of stuff, it really just is unacceptable. So again, I am not criticizing them because I don't know that that's factually accurate. I'm not going to criticize WWE on some of the things they said maybe in the press release, because maybe they are factually accurate. The thing about them saying that they didn't feel safe with a couple of the women in the match. We don't know what are facts, what's bullshit, or what is murky, what's somewhere in between both. So really, we're just left at a situation where we can only speculate. And Chris, you know, you mentioned Sasha Banks. The situation in 2019 is one thing. Her entire tenure on the main roster has been peaks and valleys, man. It's been Mm -hmm. crazy. Like a lot of stuff she couldn't help. Constantly getting injured. Not her fault. But she does certainly take a bunch of risks. Um, Supposed to be in the main event of SummerSlam, one of the main event matches of SummerSlam, against Bianca Belair in this huge match that everyone's looking forward to. Unable to do it, presumably because of a COVID-19 positive. There Again... Everyone, not 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 everyone caught COVID-19, but millions upon millions of people have caught it. So she's not unique. She didn't necessarily do anything wrong in catching it, though there were photos of her out and about ahead of a big event. People weren't happy about it. WWE then had to burn Becky Lynch's return at SummerSlam. And then all of a sudden we had the Becky Lynch, Bianca Belair long-term storyline all the way till WrestleMania. All of this as, by the way, she's starting to get some mainstream success with Star Wars. She's repping the company well and frequently front and center in their promotions and is actively one of the best women's wrestlers in the world. Stranger things have happened in wrestling, but it's kind of tough to see how this gets resolved with her just because of how many times things have happened. But then again, as you said, they called them by their names in the press release. And this is easily something that could be turned into a storyline if WWE wanted to and if they were willing. But I also don't think if that isn't resolved, I don't see why WWE would release her because she would just sign with AEW with a ton of momentum in her sales in 90 days and would be a massive, massive star for that division. One that badly, badly needs a star. I'm not sure she would move the needle like punk, but I could see her being a catalyst to get them regularly over a million, like weekly. Naomi is extremely, extremely popular. She probably wouldn't move the needle the same way unless she was alongside Banks. And it's far more likely that she could smooth things over with WWE, given her connections. But she also has a fan base in her own right. Together, let's. this is not lost on me also, Chris. 
combined and separate, they are two of the most popular minorities in this entire company, female Mm -hmm. or male. I just cannot get over the craziness of this situation from them walking out to WWE mentioning it on air to WWE putting out a pretty specific, somewhat inflammatory press release. This whole thing is just an absolutely crazy situation. WWE is absolutely not going to release them for all the reasons that you said. They don't release the people that they don't even use and and that want to get out there. There's no chance they're letting Sasha Banks and Naomi walk. And look, Sasha Banks doesn't need wrestling. Like, Like, she has gotten a lot of mainstream attention in other ways and can certainly build upon that if she wasn't doing wrestling. When she filmed Mandalorian, she was doing it around the SmackDown schedule. Like, she didn't even take time off for wrestling for it. But she really, really loves doing professional wrestling. That's why she's still. That's why she's still here. That's why she's doing the pushing the tag team belts as, as much as she can. She is a real wrestling nerd for this stuff and always has been. So she, you know, she's potentially as much as anybody got uh, the potential to be a star outside of wrestling, and yet she really, really wants to do it. So I, I don't know. I, I do think it's something that can get resolved and i think it's something they could certainly turn into something like this wasn't like you could tell this was a a shoot because this wasn't like the pipe bomb you know this wasn't like they didn't show sasha naomi walking out they didn't really make it into a storyline they just made a couple of comments on air really it was a story on social media where they initially released a statement to reporters they put it out on, on on social media themselves like it's not a part of the show so so th- that's why you could tell it was different than something like the pipe on the last time something major happened and people wondered if it was real or not so yeah i don't know i mean i i could see this getting resolved by friday by smackdown possibly i could see this dragging out for a, lo- a long time I, I i don't really know mostly because i'm shocked that there would be a walk-off to begin with Right. Over it's something so crazy. like that. I know. So it's just I don't such, know. it's just so wild to contemplate. And I mean, you know, Sasha Banks particularly walking out is not a surprise because obviously she did it before. But, you know, with her return, the way she's been booked and, and treated, you know, she hasn't been booked amazing, but she's been respected. And, you know, she's one of the top women in the company. Again, she's frontward facing for so many things that they try to do. It was just so shocking to see it happen and to see it happen live during a show with plans changing on the fly. The whole thing was crazy. So Chris, you know, is there anything else that you want to say regarding this? Any other ways that we can address this? Or do you think we just move on at this point? I want to make sure that you get to say your entire piece um, because I really don't know that there's much else for us to say, given we don't know the facts. Like we can only speculate. Yeah, and, and lastly, you know, Sasha's gotten all the attention, but I'm honestly most surprised at Naomi walking out over this, especially if she was the one who's going to win the match. Now, again, we don't know, but maybe it was the two of them decided to do it together or Sasha wanted to walk out and Naomi wanted to support a friend. That's that's an, an incredible bond of friendship right there for Naomi to to walk out well, of, I, of a match. I, I, I do she think... was going to probably win and get a singles match for a title at a pay-per-view that she does not normally get like she's she like she's walking away from a lot more opportunity here than Sasha is and that takes a lot of guts I do think that a couple things could have happened 
Uh, most reports are that they did it together, by the way. Not that she followed her or supported her, but that they walked out yeah. together. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, talking about it before they made the decision. Yeah. Right, right. That they, they commiserated and then both decided to walk out. That's what most yeah. of the reporting is on it. Um, I do think that there could be something to it where, look, Naomi knows what she has. Like she has, she, I'm not saying she has carte blanche necessarily, but she has the connection to the Anoyi family and, and to Roman Reigns and, and the Usos. So she probably feels like she has a little bit uh swing, a little bit of sway, right? Where she can kind of say, well, it's not just Sasha saying, it's me saying it. And if you're not going to listen to either of us, then we're walking. And maybe she overplayed her hand a little bit. I don't know. I, I mean, I don't think so. If you ask me right now, this is the last thing that we can say, and then we'll move on. If I had to ask you right now, Chris, and I'll let you go first, and then I'll go second. What happens in the future? Are Do Sasha Banks and Naomi remain with WWE and return to television, whether it's this week or next week, or or in the future, in, inside the next 30 days, let's say? Does one or both of them get released, or does one or both of them just not appear on TV until their contracts are over? Which of the three do you think is most likely to happen? I think it's most likely they they come back and, and get this and get this right. And obviously you have to change storylines and, and figure it out from there. Maybe they lean into it. Maybe they don't. I don't know. But I think they're back with WWE within 30 days. I think so, too. Yep. I agree with you on that. I, I, I could see Helena Cell playing out without them being on TV and then them coming back with a storyline that they walked out and developing it into a feud for um uh what's a, what's a pay-per-view uh money in the bank yeah yeah and, I, I mean I and unrelated but talking about unsafe workers i mentioned the sasha banks injury that she suffered in 2019 that was from ronda rousey who wasn't even mm. in this match and who she potentially would have fought in the title match i don't know if that played into anything or not but you yeah, know it, it may I have think, been that yeah. that's what it may have been by the way not not saying ronda's unsafe unsafe ronda rousey we don't know that to be the case i don't think i've ever heard that necessarily about her but it may not have been women who were in this match. It may have been people that they would have been fighting on over the next three or four weeks, getting into and after Hell in a Cell. So it, maybe it was Rousey. That, that's, very good, that's a very good point. Yeah, maybe Sasha doesn't want to fight Ronda. I, I don't know. All, all I know is that they need to bring back Bite This. That's what I mean. <laughs> uh, real quick before we move on to the Roman Reigns and the Usos, the bloodline side of this, there was a number one contendership match on the show that we got to talk about. Asuka versus Becky Lynch in the main event. Belair joined for commentary. Great back and forth action. The women looked equally strong in the match. Asuka countered a Becky attack into an armbar, but she rolled into the ropes. Lynch taunted Belair at ringside and then threw Asuka into her. Then she put a boot into Belair's face, which led to the referee getting distracted. Becky grabbed Asuka's umbrella, but got green misted in the face and then took a roundhouse kick with Asuka covering for the one, two, three. I thought it was a really fun match. 3.5 stars and a B. Perfect finish to keep Becky strong and make the most out of a really bad situation with Asuka challenging for the title. Lynch also sold the spray like death when Raw went off the air, like crying into the camera. Uh, I presume this is going to lead to a schmoz finish at Hell in a Cell, possibly a triple threat at Money in the Bank or something like that. Either way, they all deserve credit for delivering a worthy main event in about 15 minutes that kept everyone strong and didn't really give anything away either in a Lynch-Asuka feud or a triple threat if that's what ends up happening. I could totally see them going from this to a triple threat at Money in the Bank. And then by the time SummerSlam rolls around, we have Becky Lynch and Asuka one-on-one and Belair fighting someone else for the championship. So maybe even Lacey Evans, potentially. We'll talk about that later. Uh, but I, I thought they did a really good job from what I understand. A good portion of that match was called on the fly. 
They're, of course, two of the best women's wrestlers in the company and two of the most experienced as well. So the fact that they were able to put a main event of that caliber together, have it make sense with a really good finish, I did find it to be very impressive from both of them. Kudos to Becky Lynch and Asuka. Yep, and it's a sign of how much they trust those two as well to to do that. And there was the the PW Insider reported that it was it may have been Becky's idea to cut that backstage interview with Adam Pierce to make up for Sasha and Naomi leaving. Uh, you know, we we know how Becky reacted to the Charlotte Flair toss the title thing. You know right. that happened back in the fall. So um, seems like Becky's been somebody who knows how to adjust on the fly to these things and yeah credit to, to them for a great match you know becky losing via mist when she was trying to hit it with the umbrella turnabouts fair play makes sense boom 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 uh everybody looks good and it, it, again it's a credit to, to them that they trusted them to not only put the match together but continue to give them the main event and and highlight them like they did one last thing before we get out of here i just i i did forget this um because i took a note and i i didn't get a chance to say it there are only so many people in WWE who basically have an open door policy with Vince McMahon, right? Um, there are some who, you know, you'll hear people say, well, why don't you just go talk to Vince? Stand up for yourself, right? And some people are willing to do it. And some people do get that opportunity as a one-off here and there. Uh, but others can walk in pretty much whenever they want. You're talking about your John Cena's, your Roman Reigns's, your Becky Lynch's, Seth Rollins and the like. But it's a finite number of people. Sasha Banks is in that group. So mm-hmm. she did get that opportunity at least once. There was one report that she did it twice. It's, it's tough to say, but she did get that opportunity and she did get the chance to get heard by the guy, the guy who makes these final decisions. So it's not like they were screaming into an ether here or they were just they're screaming and no one's listening to them. No one's considering what they wanted in every report about this, not counting WWE's press release, but PW Insider, Fightful Select, everywhere else, Vince McMahon heard out their concerns, maybe tweaked a couple things, maybe didn't, but they got the opportunity to say their piece. That is something that not everyone gets. Forget about just professional wrestling in WWE, but in the workplace. So that is an additional element that I did want to include that I forgot to mention earlier. Not sure it really changes anything that we talked about, but I did think it was worthwhile mentioning. That's it. Yeah, and uh, one thing, we didn't really talk about Corey Graves' comment, but I think we all assume that was just something that came from Vince to Absolutely. have him say. I don't, I don't think it means much about Corey. His job is to basically say what Vince tells him, and, you know, so. It's, Completely. I, I didn't think much of that, honestly. Now, no, um, I did think a lot about it, actually, because I knew it came from Vince, and for them to specifically well, yes, say it on air yes. twice. But yeah, uh, so the second half of this main event is a overall discussion about the bloodline, the current storyline involving RK Bro and the, the tag team championships and Roman Reigns' limited schedule creating major issues. That's going to be the second half. I want to talk about everything that happened on the show, the shows, SmackDown and Raw first. We'll get there. So we'll start with SmackDown, Chris. RK Bro opened uh, with Randy Orton repeating that Roman Reigns makes all the decisions for the bloodline. Orton called Reigns out. Instead, Sami Zayn entered in a bloodline shirt saying no one wants the unification match, including them, because they would lose. I mean, that's exactly right. RK Bro would lose. Sammy <laughs> speaks the truth. He knows exactly what he's talking about. Uh, Riddle tried to give him the nickname Rusty, but Zane said he's a locker room leader and bragged about handling Shinsuke Nakamura last week. Orton turned the tables, saying it sounds like Zane is a shot caller for the bloodline, and he kind of agreed with that. So he offered Riddle versus Zane with the unification match on the line. 
Sammy seemed to agree, but said he needed to tie him. He got to talk to Paul Heyman about it. Adam Pierce then came out and he made the match, but I don't think he included the stipulation. So no. it was Riddle versus Zayn. Riddle countered a Huluva kick with a boot, but when he went for Floating Bro, Zayn pushed him off the top rope into the barricade. Riddle later caught Zayn flying with a final flash knee for a near fall. They countered Bro to sleep and blew Thunderbomb. Sammy hit a Mishinoku driver for a 2.8. Zayn tried the draping DDT, but Riddle escaped and hit a floating Bro, like springboard style outside. Then he hit Orton's power slam and draping DDT. Zayn ran Riddle into the post and threw him over the timekeeper's area, trying to do another countout attempt. But Riddle got back in at 9.9 and hit Bro Derek for the win in 10 minutes. Nakamura was waiting backstage, smiling to make fun of Zayn after the loss. He said Reigns is the head of the table, but Zayn is the table's ass. I thought this was a fantastic TV match, bell to bell. Four stars in A minus I gave these two. It was a sprint. I know it's a little bit of a generous grade, but I loved it. Riddle has so many signature moves that are impressive on their own. And now he's added Randy Orton's like entire moveset. It's created <laughs> such a great repertoire for this guy. He can really do anything and all of it is super exciting. He continues to prove he being Riddle, he should be a future world champion and WWE really needs to strike while that iron is hot. And I would say the next 12 to 24 months. Overall, I thought it was a really entertaining opening to the show. Zayn acting like he's part of the bloodline. It's a great gag. It's really, really fitting mm -hmm. for his character. Nakamura being there to confront Zayn again gives me hope that it's a transitional feud. And I like that Sammy nearly beat Riddle with the same methodology. And that lent credence to him actually winning via countout against Nakamura last week. I still didn't like that. I still thought it was stupid. But overall, this was really well done. Yeah, enjoyed the match. I've been enjoying Sami Zayn in this role. You know, everything was good. The only thing I didn't like was putting out the stipulation of, hey, if we win, we get our title unification match. And then announcing we're going to do the match we're just not going to do the stipulation that was like a letdown like why promote it as that if you're not going to immediately if you're immediately going to give us something lesser via the neutral slash face authority figure um so that was kind of a letdown from the opening promo but overall enjoyed it uh, from beginning to end so the second half of this from smackdown was backstage reigns wondered why rk bro is even on his show the usos were upset at getting called out reigns said they would give an answer later uh, Sammy told Heyman he may have overstepped, but wanted to make sure Reigns knows he respects and acknowledges him. Heyman said the tribal chief appreciates Zayn. Real quick, I love, love what they're doing with Sammy Zayn. Like I said yep. probably six months ago or a year ago, he was doing the best work of his career. It's even better. Everything with the bloodline, him and Paul Heyman, I think I said last week they could be at a buddy cop show. I, I want... Sami Zayn to permanently be with the bloodline almost. Maybe not permanently, <laughs> but at least for another like 30 to 60 days. I'm I'm loving this entire thing. He, he's like the Owen Hart of the Nation of Domination. He is. That's exactly what it is. It's yeah. awesome. So, so yeah. the, the yeah, bloodline comes. It's great. The bloodline comes out for the main event. Rain said he always smashes people Sunday and asks what's next on Friday. This time he said there's nobody left because they've smashed them all and everyone has terrified him of him. RK bro entered. Orton said John Cena is 10 times the superstar Reigns will ever be. Riddle said they needed the unification match. Orton cut an awesome promo on the Usos, explaining the purpose of the challenge. And the Usos finally accepted for next week's show. Reigns then posed with both titles, uh, like kind of celebrating as his cousins were speaking. And Riddle straight up blindsides Reigns with a final flash knee right to the face. And RK bro dips out of the ring to end the show. So for neither Nakamura, who was backstage, 
nor Drew McIntyre, who was not beaten by Reigns, to show up when Roman said he had no competition left was mind-numbing to me. Not to mention, you know, all the dudes on the Raw roster. I see no way that they unify these tag team titles on SmackDown. If they do at all, it was probably a setup for a Reigns disqualification next week with a rematch at Hell in a Cell. But overall, it was a super entertaining closing segment. It ended what I thought, Chris, was one of the strongest SmackDowns we've gotten in months. But there's four titles on this show, and there's zero SmackDown challengers for any of them right now. Yeah, that's a problem. And so I wrote this down. Roman Reigns is not getting the reaction he used to get. Whether it's cheers or boos, you're not having as many people standing up when his music hits. He's not getting the same level of noise when you're doing the acknowledge me. Mm-hmm. There's a smattering of cheers when he when he says it. And then the piped in boos come in afterward, make it blatantly obvious that they're using the fake crowd noise and that. It's not hitting. And it's because he's not on TV very much or doing very much. And I guess we'll get into that in a minute. But I just wanted to note that for that for that spot. Okay, we're getting the unification match next week. I doubt it's going to have a clean finish. We'll see. I really enjoyed their back and forth. And there was a line Randy Orton says when he kind of got in the face of Roman Reigns. He backs up and he smiles and he goes, I just I just noticed I'm way taller than you. <laughs> Did you catch that line? Mm-hmm. Yep. So that was hilarious. And they, but they cut it from the YouTube video. They go from Randy's line before that, because right, right after he says that the Uso say something about a challenge. So Randy gives his bit and then the YouTube video cuts to the Uso response. They cut out Randy telling Roman that he's taller than him, <laughs> which I found, which I found hilarious. Uh, so yeah, overall segment w- was entertaining. Still into RK Bro Usos. But Roman's just kind of floating there, and it's weird. It is strange. Uh, Now, I do want to talk about Roman Reigns, but we have to talk about what happened on Raw. Riddle fought Jimmy Uso. I swear we've seen this match like four or five times. Riddle kicked out after a pop-up Samoan drop. He tried for an avalanche RKO, but Jimmy pushed him down. Jay pulled Riddle off the top rope later behind the referee's back. The ref caught him assisting Jimmy with a pinning attempt, ejected him from ringside. Riddle then caught Jimmy on an inside cradle for the win to a big reaction. The match was surprisingly kind of rough. Orton wasn't even there. And now Riddle has gotten up on the bloodline on two straight shows, which probably tells you all you need to know if there is a real finish in the unification match on Friday. Riddle later cut a promo in a smoky room with colored lights. He gave the 420 line again. So they're really leaning into the marijuana aspect of Riddle's character, which I never expected the WWE would do. The Usos also cut a short promo back at RK8, bro, promoting the title match for SmackDown. So really, there was nothing to chew on from Raw, at least as far as I'm, I'm concerned. But I do need to say, the best case scenario for me at this point is the feud ending on SmackDown. Hopefully in a double DQ or a one-way DQ, or just something happens where these titles are not unified. I just don't understand the, the push to unify them, the idea of it being a two-month storyline, Roman Reigns not having any challengers. The whole thing to me is just really frustrating. Yeah, no, I mean, we talked about it plenty. I don't like the unification of titles. I I don't see how it helps anything. And the way the Roman unification has gone has proven that out. So I'm kind of surprised that they're moving forward with another unification when the other one is clearly not doing much. And yeah, I don't really, we've seen Riddle, uh, Riddle, whoever it was, a a bunch of times. 
kind of whatever. The, the Smoky Room promo was pretty funny, but it, it kind of came out of nowhere. I'm curious if they're going to keep doing it. Um, and yeah, now we're just kind of waiting for the big match now at this point, whether it, it, it counts for SmackDown or whether we're going to get it again at a pay-per-view. Or right, or whether they unify the titles at all or or don't, and the whole thing was just a show. Yeah. So that's still to be determined. But the real part of this main event to discuss is indeed Roman Reigns' limited schedule creating major issues for WWE. Now, we went in depth on this last week about, and we really utilized some unconfirmed reporting on Roman Reigns possibly taking a 10-week vacation, maybe even missing multiple premium live events because of it. And the point of that conversation, I'm pretty sure that we clarified it before we began the conversation last week. In fact, I am sure that we did. Uh, But the point was to do our best to lay out the issues with WWE having an undisputed champion, while you and I also litigated why his title reign has been such a disaster over the last five months, really since day one, since January 1st, Mm -hmm. since that pay-per-view. And Chris, you know, if I do say so myself, I'm going to do a little Barry Horowitz for both of us. We're not in the same room, so I can't do it for you. Famous Jewish Jewish wrestler Barry Horowitz. Correct. And I also wouldn't be Barry Horowitz if I patted you on the back. But I think we did a pretty exceptional job last week getting our points across and explaining why we felt the way we did and also addressing the speculation. But as we noted last week, uh, saying that the reports are basically incomplete, I do want to briefly revisit the conversation because we do have what I believe to be what I would say more accurate information as of right now. And that is, according to Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, that Roman Reigns signed a new contract that has him, quote unquote, cutting way back on his dates. Now, what Meltzer reports, and again, this is really not that firm of a report. It's that Reigns will work TV, but not every week, and will work pay-per-views, premium live events, but perhaps not every single one. This coming along with a drastically lighter house show schedule, presumably only doing the biggest dates like MSG and some of those really, really big shows. Reigns has already been pulled for advertising from Hell in a Cell. Meltzer reports he will not be on that card, which means he will not have defended his new undisputed championship. Forget this, Chris, 90 days until Money in the Bank on July 2nd, unless there's some random TV title defense in between, which I highly doubt. Not only is that completely absurd on its face, but it speaks to everything that we said last week about the terrible decision of forcing an undisputed championship into existence when it was completely unnecessary. It hurt the WrestleMania card. It is actively hurting Raw to not have a champion. And now it's actively hurting their non-stadium pay-per-views where no men's world championship is going to be defended for the second straight month. And that's really all there is to say about it. Like good for Reigns getting reduced dates, good for him getting paid, but the booking has created a really unfortunate situation that WWE is not strong enough creatively to overcome in storylines. You cannot have one world champion who does not appear on your weekly three-hour show basically ever, may miss a couple SmackDown dates here and there, and is not defending the championship for a 90-day period from WrestleMania to Money in the Bank. When there are plenty of people on these rosters, both uh, uh, SmackDown and Raw, I almost called it SMA, SmackDown and Raw, there are plenty of people other than the big names that you're trying to save. Presumably, they want to save Drew McIntyre. They probably want to save Cody Rhodes. They probably maybe want to save Bobby Lashley. So you take, and, and Seth Rollins, you put those four guys aside. 
There are plenty of other people across both of those shows that could challenge Roman Reigns for the championship at these pay-per-views. And they're just not pulling the trigger. And it is really frustrating and it is actively hurting the product. I, I don't get it at all. Why would you, un- you had a great setup. Why would you unify the titles and then pull that guy back? I, I, I don't get it at all. We're not, we have, we're going on two months of no world title feud. Like in wrestling history, in modern wrestling history, how does that happen? It, 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 doesn't it happens happen. with, I, I it happens with Brock Lesnar and they're turning yes. Roman Reigns into Brock Lesnar is what they're doing. Yes. That's exactly what they're doing at a time when he doesn't like you already you're I, I don't get it because you you could you can keep Roman as the champion and pull him back but for raw to like the world title a world title does not even like enter the conversation on raw anymore outside of a Cody mention here or there it's just a huge gap in the show and we've generally thought raw has been decent for a few months now. Imagine if you had a world title feud on top of that with somebody else. It'd be a great show. I just, I don't get the unification part of this for the purposes of of pulling him back. Roman was already the biggest guy in the company. Like the the shows are separate. I I don't, I just, there's nothing more to say that we didn't say last week. I just, I don't understand the logic behind that. It's just, it's so strange the way this all transpired. And this is the last thing I'm going to say. We're going to move on. But uh, I mean, you can respond, of course, but we'll move on after this. Roman Reigns got COVID-19. Rather than keep the titles separate at day one, they decided to have Brock Lesnar win the WWE Championship, which was apparently not the booking. Or, I mean, of course, wasn't the booking because he was set to fight Roman Reigns. They had Brock Lesnar win that championship. They traded it back and forth to Bobby Lashley for no good reason whatsoever. But then they, because that the storyline they conceived once Roman Reigns got COVID-19 was to unify the championships. It's possible during that, time from then to WrestleMania or most of the journey from there to WrestleMania, there was not a request from Reigns to A, renegotiate his contract, B, sign a new one, C, cut back on dates, whatever the case might be. So it is possible that they booked themselves into the situation with Roman Reigns on the back end saying, hey, I'm going to work less dates, take it or leave it. And WWE, of course, is going to take it. However, once that happens, you need to then begin developing a storyline to get at least one of those championships off Roman Reigns, whether it's the authority forcing him to relinquish one, whether they merge them into a championship and then create another new championship on the back end, restart the lineage, let's say, of the universal title. You have to do something creatively to ensure that your brands have at least one world champion active at all times. When Brock Lesnar did take the title and go away, there was always another world championship that could main event pay-per-views. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now we're thinking about Roman Reigns becoming Brock Lesnar in that vein, but we don't have the championship on pay-per-views. We also on Raw have a lot of really talented men's singles wrestlers in pretty decent feuds. I got to say, like, you know, the the Edge, AJ Styles, Finn Balor, Damian Priest thing, that's taking up four big names. You have certainly Seth Rollins and Cody Rhodes. That's two big names. Kevin Owens is involved in something, even though it's not main event level. Everyone is working and everyone is really being used, but no one is caring about the championship. They could have put on a tournament for a number one contendership. Um, they could have they could eventually set up a fatal four-way Hell in a Cell match for a number one contendership. 
There are so many things that they could do around the championship without actually utilizing Roman Reigns in the championship, but they're refusing to do any of it. So it is actively hurting the creative product. And again, even though I did think SmackDown was a good show this past week, it's a huge, blatant black hole in WWE creative right now that there is no championship feud and that the champion is not appearing on one of the two major shows, every at least one of the two major shows every single week. Yeah, and I'll, I'll just end by, by what I said before. And that Roman Reigns is not getting the same reaction he used to. People are getting bored of this because nothing's happening. And if you want to make him into what Brock Lesnar was, Brock Lesnar would go away for periods of time when he wasn't the champion, come back and win it. So it was a big deal when he showed up. That's It's not the case with Roman when he's still making every other TV and stuff like that. He's just not, he's just not doing anything. And... Yeah, I just I, I don't I just I don't understand this, this this thought process at all as to why you're not going to have an extra champion if you're going to pull back on, on one of them. I don't know. Yeah, it is certainly strange. It's been a very strange main event. Stranger Things edition of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, a show, by the way, that I have not seen. I tried watching uh, the first half of the first episode ever and could not get into it. But I for some reason, Chris, am assuming that you do watch that show. I have not watched it. I just oh, I didn't get into it. I didn't nice. get into it at the be- I didn't get into it at the beginning, um, and just never kind of got around to it. Now there's a lot to catch up on. I saw the trailer for the new season; looks good. So yeah, I mean, in- instead of saying Stranger Things, you could have you could have um, you could have said uh, uh, Doctor Strange: Multiverse of Madness. Did have you seen that? I saw it Friday. Okay, good. Did you? No, see we it? won't we we won't do any spoilers here. But, Did you uh, see I'll it? Just say yes. I saw it. All right. It was uh, uh, it was 30, it was all right. Th- 30 to 60 seconds on Doctor Strange. Zero spoilers. Zero spoilers. Go ahead. It was all right. A lot happened. But in the end, I think it was a bit of a letdown. That's my yeah. Take. As Baba Booey would say, it was a bit of a stumble. Um, I think it was one of the three or four worst Marvel movies that I've seen. It was oh, just I, I wouldn't go that far. It was but. it was completely convoluted. It was corny in many parts, the dialogue and the storylines. I'll tell you what, simply, very simple. Ever since Endgame and that storyline wrapped up with Iron Man and, and, you know, and Thanos and everything like that, this second, you know, uh, universe, I don't know what what you call it. um, The second edition of the MCU, the second phase. Phase phase four. Oh, it's phase four. Okay. Phase four. Whatever this shit is with the multiverse, I don't care. Like, I like the, the Loki show. That was totally fine on its own as, as like a separate product. I liked it. Spider-Man, um, you know, I think it, it's overrated. I think people loved it because there were so many throwbacks and, and you had the people show up who showed up in there, trying not to give spoilers. Um, but even that was a little convoluted. But okay, it was Spider-Man and Spider-Man can be a little bit cornier. Historically, it is a little bit more of a cornier superhero the way it's presented. But for this multiverse to now in be involved in every single thing that Marvel is doing, it is way too much. It is almost like they found a way to just allow their creative license to expand as far as it possibly can. And they're taking advantage of that rather than tell a really strong, concise story with a singular bad guy or that builds up to a singular bad guy. Now, maybe this will, and maybe I'm reacting very early in its ongoing, you know, storytelling. But so far, I've been completely unimpressed. And this Doctor Strange movie, I really 
I'm not saying I didn't like it. I enjoyed myself in the theater. It was a good time. But I, it was I, one of my I, least favorite movies from Marvel. And it's one, you know, Marvel, you, you see movies on TNT. Marvel is there all the time or on other channels. And you kind of watch them even though you've seen them before. I'll probably never watch this again. I've enjoyed Marvel's pieces of Phase 4, essentially the mid-card. But it's missing that world title feud. There isn't Correct. a big bad that we're building to. We don't know what they're doing. It's very much like WWE post WrestleMania right now. Everything in, I guess it was phase. I mean, I don't. You know this better than me. The, the phase per- three is civil civil war to to, to end game. Was okay, like. so everything in the first three phases, let's say, basically centered around Tony Stark, Iron Man, and Captain America. Like they were kind of the yes the the middle point at which everything else rotated. They were the sun, right? Um. Here, it seems to be Doctor Strange. He is not a strong enough character to be that central figure. And Captain America, the, the change to, um, help me. Um, to, to Falcon? To Falcon. He's not strong enough as a Captain America to be the other half of that. So really, the only person in like the MCU as of right now, or, or people, I should say, that I was really interested in, are, would be like, I guess, Spider-Man. And Black Panther, and obviously Black Panther is not around anymore. So it, it's a bunch of like B level. Not I'm not saying B level superheroes, but they, they're not oh, yeah. using they're not using the A tier. We were spoiled by what they gave us previously, and now it just kind of seems like it's fallen off completely. Yeah. And I don't know how they kind of recover from it. I mean, I'm sure they have their plans, and I'm sure at the end we'll probably be happy. I'll change my tune, but as of right now, I'm really not loving what we're getting. Yeah, Ricochet is like the Falcon of WWE. You 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 you've, you only got a few titles out there right now, and Ricochet's got one of them, and he's not doing much with it. Uh, there, again, there's a lot of similarities, I think, between where Marvel and WWE is, which I'm sure WWE would love to hear, but but not in this. Uh, but the thing is, WWE didn't kill off Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar. They killed off they're Tony a, Stark. They're, they're a, I mean, they're essentially doing that. Brock's gone. Roman's pulling back. Okay, but the they can TV. come back. Tony Stark can't come back. And um, well, Steve you got Rogers can't come back either. You got, a, you got a multiverse, so technically you could. So. Oh, God. Okay, yeah, I guess technically that is true. All right, so let uh, we, that was not planned, okay? that We did not mean to talk about that on the show. I'm sorry if any of you don't like Marvel. Uh, let's move on to our real second segment here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast where we break down everything else that happened in the world of SmackDown and Raw with the good, the bad, and the ugly. So Cody Rhodes was promoted all show for a 10 p.m. appearance, not a match, not a match, not practice, an appearance. Uh, Cody came out and said Seth Rollins was not in attendance, He questioned what exactly Rollins thought Rhodes stole from him and recounted Rollins' debut with The Shield, admitting that he was among those wrestlers who was sour about it in the back. As Rollins had success, Cody shared his path, going from stardust to a revolutionary. He said he realized he would never be the American dream, so he embraced the nightmare. Cody suggested they put all of it on the line and play for keeps inside Hell in a Cell. Rollins was shown manically laughing backstage, even though, again, Cody said he wasn't there. Uh, Rollins said, anyone who has stepped inside Hell in a Cell with him has been changed forever. He can't wait to exploit all of Cody's insecurities before exposing him as a fraud. I loved the line about people stepping inside Hell in a Cell changing forever when they fight him because it's absolutely true. We're not going to talk about The Fiend and everything that happened, but it is true. (laughs) It is accurate. Uh, So overall, look, this was good, right? It, It was nothing that great. 
Cody's promo was a standard Cody promo. Rollins promo was a standard Rollins promo. I do wish that they went into a little bit more of the minutia like Cody did talking about how they interacted back in that time and maybe Rollins holding him down the shield, not wanting to work with Cody, the feud, the Rhodes family against the shield, which is right there for the taking for them to address that we thought they were really going to go deep into and they haven't yet. So they're leaving a lot on the cutting room floor. But overall, it was good. They they paid off him showing up at 10 p.m. I, it's one thing to promote a match for a certain time. Promoting an appearance for a certain time is very strange. And Kevin Owens live tweeted, being in gorilla position, as the countdown went on, he made fun of it. <laughs> and then after the show, he said, next week, the countdown to Becky. You'll get Becky Lynch at 10 p.m. So I thought Kevin <laughs> was actually funnier and more entertaining than what we got. But overall, it was good. There was nothing wrong with it. I missed the Kevin Owens stuff. I'm pulling it up now. His his comment about countdown to Becky. He's wearing the ridiculous Becky Lynch sunglasses. Uh, he yeah, countdown to KO. This is funny. Kevin Owens funny. We'll get into that later. But that that's that's good. Uh, you know, they just they are. It it remains remarkable every week just how all in WWE is with Cody. He's getting his own countdown to a promo graphics. And they're apparently going to be selling his neck tattoos or, or something like that moving forward. They just, they are in love with this guy right now. And it's still just crazy to see, thinking of where things were a couple months ago. Um, they, they've, they've given you the time when Cody Rhodes is going to show up before for, for matches. And it seems to do pretty well based on the, the numbers does. at the time. So yep. it, it, makes sure, it makes sense to keep doing it. You may think it's corny or weird, but people are coming back to see Cody. The only thing I would have added to that was build it a little more during the show. I say this all the time, but show Cody Rhodes pulling into the arena and getting out of a limo or something, right. or getting out of his car or, or and he comes out and they want to talk to him. He goes, nah, I'll say everything I need to say at 10 o'clock. And then just like, just like a little bit more as opposed to just the graphic. Let this feel like a real moving world where things are going on that are not just on your camera at the time. I would have um, loved Cody walking backstage to Gorilla, Gorilla before the commercial break and Kevin Owens being there and like, oh, the <laughs> countdown to Cody Rhodes. Here we go. Looks like Cody's coming. Like something like that, yeah. like, tongue in cheek and they're friends yeah. in real life. That would have been really funny. So yeah, there, there needed to be more elements to this, but for what yeah. it was, it was totally fine. For what it was fine and good. And, and then Cody's promo again, like Cody's always going to cut these kinds of promos, but they're they're such this is the exact kind of promo that fits with WWE. And it's the kind of promo that did not fit with AEW, which is why he got booed all the time. Yep. He 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 is so good at engaging with the live crowd. He never looks at the hard cam when he's giving these promos. How many WWE promos do you see in the ring where it's someone just staring at the hard cam almost the whole time? He moves around, he 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 makes motions to the crowd, he looks at the camera that's in the ring when he wants to get direct with you. It's just it's so effective. And he just really has that down pat. And that's why the crowds get into it. Yep. And absolutely. so, so th this worked. The only thing is I, I, I still don't love the, the reason they're doing the hell in a cell again, he stomped him on the table. Like even Seth was like, Oh, that wasn't that big of a deal. Like he did a wrestling move to him onto it, onto a table. It, it should have been Seth challenging Cody, maybe harassing him. And then Cody accepting and saying, we're going to put it all on the line. Not that you, not saying you can do that all in this, segment or the show, but just that's how I would have built a hell in a cell. Well, I looked at it as that Rollins, the, the way I looked at it is that Rollins, even though he was given a legitimate reason to want a rematch, 
you know, with what happened at WrestleMania mm-hmm. Backlash and even what happened at WrestleMania being a surprise opponent, even though he had legitimate reasons to want a rematch, he didn't really have legitimate reasons to want Hell in a Cell. So they needed to create a reason for it to be inside Hell in a Cell. And I think Rollins attacking Cody after Cody had already beaten him twice. Uh, Cody believing Rollins didn't deserve it. Therefore, as the babyface saying, look, let's just end this for good inside mm-hmm. Hell in a Cell. I'm going to expose expose your ass. It was probably the tightest and quickest way for them to wrap it up and not extend yeah. it another week. Could they have uh, done it now and then extended it to next week? Yes. But the problem is because there's no world championship match at Hell in a Cell, they needed a big blockbuster match to announce for the card. And that's what they finally got. They want to promote. They want to sell tickets. That's why they had to do it this week. Yeah, makes sense. All right, moving on. Uh, Ronda Rousey came out on SmackDown to celebrate her women's title win in her normal, you know, monotone type of voice. She said the fans probably want a fighting champion and she wants to be one. So she issued an open challenge on the spot. Raquel Rodriguez surprisingly answered. She towered over Rousey and accepted the challenge. She did get a couple of what chants, which were idiotic. Her promo was perfectly fine, scripted, but it was perfectly fine. The what chants need to go away for good, especially when it's faces and WWE is trying to get people over. AEW is trying to get people over. Don't like battle back against that. Allow them to talk anyway. So we get a SmackDown Women's Championship, Rousey Rodriguez, Raquel dominated this entire match. She hit two fallaway slams and a senton style Vader bomb for a two. She missed a second attempt and Rousey locked her in a standing guillotine, but Raquel powered out into a vertical suplex for a 2.5. Rousey hit a step up knee, but Raquel uh, countered Piper's pit into a really strange, like twisting slam for a near fall. Rodriguez went for the Chingona bomb. That's her finisher. Rousey failed to counter with an arm bar. Rodriguez easily powered out of a standing ankle lock and hit a huge boot for a 2.9. It was a really good kick out from Ronda. And then Rousey finally countered a power bomb by rolling through into a pinning combination for the one, two, three in six minutes. Rousey extended her hand after the bell. Rodriguez shook it. They got an ovation from the crowd. And then she like mimicked, you know, she's like this close, put her fingers together. I almost beat you. Now, this, Chris, is how you get someone over. Again, I have to stress, Raquel dominated her in this match. There were a couple of odd parts. It was mostly strong. Rodriguez earned her bona fides. She looked like a real contender. Rousey winning without hitting a finisher or getting the submission plus the way commentary sold Raquel all match, it further solidified the effort. I do wish it was a little bit longer, and I wish Raquel had a little bit more substance to her gimmick. The Big Mommy cool nickname from NXT would be great. They really should use it. But this was definitely good. I gave it three stars and a B minus, but overall, I was really happy with what we got here. I'm happy. I'm pumped is what I am. This was the best thing on SmackDown or Raw. To, to, to me, without a doubt. Yeah, I mean, you laid it out. This is how you get somebody over. If you don't know anything about Raquel Rodriguez, because they barely told you anything, and she has barely, only said a couple weird promos, you got it all here. I liked her little promo. I liked the move between Spanish and English. Uh, I, I, you know what I think? She's still smiling a crazy amount. You pull back on that a little bit. Notably, she didn't do the back flex on the way to the ring. I, didn't, I don't think she did that. Um, so they made a couple changes here. The, the, the match, perfectly fine and enjoyed it. Raquel Rodriguez is dominating it. Like, holy crap, I got to take this person seriously. Ronda had a great kick out after the big boot. 
She got that at the 2.99, maybe the best kickout run has ever had. That for a quick second had me think, whoa, I, I for there was a quick second I thought Raquel Rodriguez was it, about to win because that's how good the kickout was. It it ran through my head that oh my god, Ronda's injured. They're putting the title on Raquel, like like a, <laughs> yeah. like a ticker, like a sports ticker. Like it went With through like, my head and then out as soon as she kicked out. Yeah, you, you you could make the case this this may have been Ronda's best match ever, not in terms of no. work rate, but in terms of but in terms of the story it told and it, uh. keeping you engaged. Maybe that's too far, but I loved everything about this. Compare this now with what they do with Gunther and what they do with Veer. Raquel Rodriguez is now so much more legitimate, interesting. I'm not going to say she's over, but so much more on the path to being over because of this segment. This was just tremendous. I cannot praise this whole segment enough. Forget Gunther and Veer because they're at least beating people live in the ring. Look at Champa. Like they could have had Champa come out his first match and go toe to toe with Seth Rollins and put on an absolute banger. Yeah, Rollins would win because he had the Cody match coming up, but they still could have done that and said, "Wow, this is someone you really need to watch in yes. the mid-card title thing." Instead, They've basically done nothing with him. Gunther and Veer, yeah, you make good points with them. Gunther really more so than Veer. They could have had Gunther come out and like really go to town against someone. But the difference is Gunther can't lose. Raquel Rodriguez losing isn't a big deal to Ronda Rousey. Gunther losing, unless it's to sure. Roman Reigns, people would have been really pissed off about that. Sure. So, but, but, but you Gunther make a good point. Him, but yeah, yeah. You, make, you make a good point that when you bring someone in that you want to be big, this is how you make them big. It was it was mm-hmm. it was pitch perfect booking from WWE. We it, it's very rare that we say that. Everything about this was perfect. It just was. This, this is the this is the kind of thing AEW does a lot of, which is why their talent floor feels so much higher because they make you feel like everybody should matter in some form. Right. Somebody can go one on one. John Silver can fight CM Punk, and oh, they had a pretty good, good match with John Silver. Somebody I got to pay attention to moving forward. Raquel Rodriguez is somebody you have yep. to pay attention to moving forward. That is what they told you with that match. That's exactly what you're supposed to do. They did it with Wheeler Yuta. They did it with Danny Garcia. Mm-hmm. Um, they've done it with numerous people. Sammy Guevara, before he got his big pushes, would take people mm-hmm. to go toe to toe with people. Yeah, I mean, it's it's AEW does do that well. And you're right, it, that makes their low card stronger than WWE's low card from a kayfabe perspective. And that's really important when you want to elevate people into the mid card. And then from the mid card into the main event, they've already been established because they're able to stand up to some of these people and not get beat in two minutes and 30 seconds. Anyway, let's keep rolling. Uh, Shotzi backstage told Pierce that Rodriguez beat her to the ring and took her title match. Aaliyah claimed Shotzi locked her in the locker room. They argued about getting a title shot. It was just great to see them both on screen, like Aaliyah, not so much, but Shotzi, really. And given it was an open challenge, sure, both theoretically could have gotten a title match here. I'd much prefer they earn it. This is basically nothing to grade, but I'll say good because, look, we got them on the damn screen. It seems like WWE is finally ready to feature some of the other women on SmackDown, Shotzi in particular. If they're not going to do the Sasha Banks and Naomi thing for this upcoming pay-per-view Hell in a Cell, I would love Shotzi to earn a number one contendership and fight Ronda Rousey for the title. She's someone who can get beaten without it being a big deal. She's experienced and talented. That would be awesome. So it's good that they got on screen. And I like that they did an open challenge and they had other people who didn't answer it pissed mm-hmm. that someone else beat them to the ring. I really like that. Love this. Exactly what you said. Loved everything about it. Made sense. And Shotzi and Aaliyah were both 
serious about wanting to contend for the championship. Every an open challenge for the for the SmackDown Women's Championship. Everybody should be running to try to get that spot. Right. So just like do something like this. Let us know that hey, there were people trying to do this. Hey, Aaliyah is more than just happy to be here, as they always keep saying about her. She wants to win the championship. So great stuff. Moving on, uh, a huge triple segment from Raw. We're going to do it all together for time. Liv Morgan promised backstage that Rhea Ripley would never get away with what she did to her. Los Lotharios tried to comfort her. She denied a kiss cam invitation as AJ Styles and Finn Balor shooed them off. Styles and Balor suggested they team up against Judgment Day. She hesitated and did not give a firm answer. So then we go to Judgment Day backstage. Uh, they cut a group promo. Edge called Ripley and Damian Priest his Saints of Fire. Or sorry, Saints of Fate is what they were. He said fans didn't need to be angry at the state of the world. They could just join Judgment Day, gain power, and decide for themselves. Edge suggested their battle could end with Styles joining them. If not, he would lay at their feet. So immediately after this, Liv makes her entrance, followed by Balor and Styles. The prior segment made it seem like she wasn't sure if she would be at ringside with them. But not only did she join them, she entered first. If anything, they should have had the two guys enter, get halfway down to the ring, and then Liv's music hits, and they're surprised and happy that she's there with them. So yeah. I did not get why she said the line that she did, or she's like, hey, I'm not sure, and then comes out first with them. That whole thing was messy and backwards. Anyway, we got Styles and Balor against Los Lotharios. By the way, a SmackDown tag team. Uh, Angel nearly won with an inside cradle, but Balor escaped that. And then he escaped the wing clipper. He had a sling blade, but Angel countered a shotgun dropkick with a super kick. Balor got double feet up to counter an Umberto moonsault. And Umberto sold it incredibly, like the rock taking a stunner. It was awesome. <laughs> Balor dodged Angel in one corner, hit the coup de gras. Seconds after, Styles hit the phenomenal forearm for the win. Uh, Balor got the pinfall. The match was a blast. Four really great workers. The crowd was loud as hell for the trio. And they all did two sweet together after the bell with Liv Morgan being the third one to a really big pop. There were some rough parts to these trio of segments, as I kind of mentioned. Overall, though, it was definitely good. A solid way to get the faces over as a threesome. I went 3.5 stars in B for the match. I really enjoyed it. And I was just so legitimately happy to see these three people together, to see Balor involved in something meaningful, Balor and Styles together, and then live with two of the most over faces in the entire company. It really is a powerhouse group. It's going to elevate her. There's a chance that this larger faction feud, even though it's groups at this point, there's a really good chance that everyone in these gets elevated from it. And that mm -hmm. is good booking and storytelling. I, I always love when a random collection of faces team together to fight a stable faction team of heels. Like it, it, they, they all have a common purpose here and it's to go after the judgment day. And so they team up. It, it makes perfect sense. I Like you said, I think they're all elevated by it. People are into all three of these folks. And so putting them together only helps. The Judgment Day promo, kind of just whatever to me. It was I, I did like the Edge tease of, hey, AJ, come join us. Because that, now that's something you'll just kind of keep in the back of your head a little bit. Like maybe AJ turns on them. But also continuing to say, hey, we're open. We're probably going to add more members here. So that keeps me interested moving forward. So uh, just enjoyed everything about this. And we're at the point now where I do think everybody's starting to get elevated by all this.
Agreed. Uh, Bobby Lashley fought Omos in a steel cage match. This opened raw with Omos getting an introduction. Like he was a heavyweight boxer. It was just very effusive, effusive in its praise. Uh, MVP ranted for like five minutes. Cedric Alexander attacked Lashley during his entrance. The match officially started at 8.16 p.m. MVP tried to distract in the corner. Lashley got around Omos and hit a spear for a near fall. Lashley tried to climb out and fought Omos off. So Alexander climbed up the cage until Lashley threw him into the ring with one arm. Omos caught Lashley flying and threw him into the cage on one side. Omos then threw him into the other side of the cage. The panel collapsed. Lashley rolled out down the panel. He was dazed, confused. And then he realized, all I need to do is step off this panel to get the win. So that's exactly what he did. You know, I don't necessarily mind if people clown that finish. Like, I totally get why people would hate it. Personally, I'm not a huge fan of the escape aspect of a cage. But in Mm -hmm. WWE, you need to differentiate cage matches from Hell in a Cell matches. Hell in a Cell is theoretically no escape. A cage has that added element to it. What bothered me more than the finish was Alexander's involvement and the fact that we'll now get a fourth match between these guys. What I appreciated was how all the officials acted confused and surprised, which sold the absurdity of the entire thing. Plus, you really cannot deny the crowd reaction. The crowd loved this. It's not my taste. So I'm going to say bad, but I thought the finish was unique and inventive and it wasn't bad where it was offensive to me. It was just not a good cage match is the best way I can put it. Yeah, you know, first of all, big meaty men slapping meat in a cage. Don't get that often. So that was cool to see. Big meaty men slapping meat. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. Um, it, it was not the best cage match, but it was, it was, it was fine. It was enjoyable. I, I'm, I'm giving this a light good. It was, it, it was, it was solid. Uh, it is the most viewed segment on the, from Raw on the YouTube page by quite a bit. Uh, number two is Oscar Becky Lynch. It's number one. By the way, Ronda Rousey, Raquel Rodriguez, I forgot to mention, 1.2 million views. Nice. Uh, YouTube from that. So that, that, that was over big. Um, so yeah, the cage match was fine. There's not much to really break down. It was an inventive finish. Um, I mostly just kind of wanted that to be the end of it. Like that's a way to have Omos lose and him not look weak coming out of a feud and have him move on. I don't want a fourth match between these guys. So I, I don't know what's, what's next, but for the cage match itself, uh, I definitely give that a good. Okay. So we're on different sides there. I'm just happy they reinforced the ring post. That's all. So we got Alexa Bliss and Sonya. They, they should have. Well, they should have. They should have reinforced the cage. That's the problem. <laughs> that is true. Uh, we had Alexa Bliss and Sonya Deville. Sonya dominated early and tried to pull off a turnbuckle pad. The referee went to fix it uh, when she hit a spine, a very bad spinebuster on Bliss. He was late then to count the fall. Bliss came back with her punch and straight DDT plus a flop cover for the win in four minutes. The finish kind of came out of nowhere. Bliss's cover was super strange, and I don't like her punch and DDT combination. Like, Twisted Bliss is a good finisher. She needs another good finisher. Those are just, they don't make sense for a woman her size. They just don't. Uh, DeVille argued after the bell, slapped the referee. I like the DeVille part of the story, but for Bliss to return and get two quick wins without any promos, without any character development, it's a travesty. She did have an awesome new theme that was kind of like female punk rock with lyrics. It really fits her well. But overall, I did think this was pretty bad. 
I'm giving it a bad. I did like the theme. I saw a lot of people on Twitter didn't like it. I think they just maybe didn't like change. I thought didn't like change. Was it was good though. It was a good theme. Yeah. The, the problem was we just we don't know who she is. Like I I don't know if Alexa Bliss has ever gone two appearances in a row without being on the mic. Like her, she is one of the best character actresses on the whole roster. And so we we go through the whole. Every every character she all the character work she's done there's always been stuff behind it she does the the fiend stuff for a long time she's doing promos every week she's by herself doing the lily thing she's doing therapy like they've put so much work into her as a character for her to make two straight appearances with no explanation of what she's doing why she's here and her to just be smiling and, and being here it's incredibly weird and a disservice to her because she's incredibly talented. There were, I know there were reports a few weeks back of they didn't know what to do with her, and I still don't know if they know what they're doing with her. I think they just it's possible they just brought her back, and she's just doing matches, and they'll figure it out at, at some point. I don't know. It's weird. That is, it definitely, that is definitely a possibility. They're, they're using her for a spot and like aren't sure about a storyline, so they don't want her cutting a promo. But she could easily backstage do, hey, you know, it feels great to be back. I came back. I wasn't successful at Elimination Chamber, but you know, I'm really going to be going after the, the Raw Women's Championship. And Sonya Deville walks up and says, you got lucky last week. I wasn't prepared. Let's fight again. As simple mm-hmm. as that is, yep. is a little bit more. It's something more meat. It's more meat to chew on. And instead, we just got nothing. And yeah, I'm, I'm never going to give something good if it's that basic. It just doesn't make any sense. Uh, so let's keep going. Kevin Owens and Chad Gable did their hilarious back and forth backstage about the DNA test. KO read the results and the lab said they were contaminated by barbecue sauce. Otis was apparently eating ribs that night. So Owens got mad at him for doing that. Gable promised to beat the truth out of Elias on Raw and then fully expose him with Ancestry DNA or something like that on next week's show. So we got Ezekiel versus Gable. KO was on commentary. He did take a lot of the air out of the match because he was so incredibly entertaining on the mic the entire time. Mm-hmm. Otis leveled Zeke behind the referee's back outside. Gable jumped off the top rope, but Zeke hit a lifted knee for a near fall. Gable then hit a moonsault for a near fall. Zeke did a donkey kick and a splash on Gable knocked Otis off the apron with a lifted knee and caught Gable in a granny roll for the win. This was easily, I think, the best match of Elias's career to this point. I mean, it's because mean, Gable it's was Ezekiel. in it. Ezekiel. Uh, yeah, his, his uh, younger brother, sorry. Um, yes. But nevertheless, it was easily the best match of this family's wrestling career. Uh, mm-hmm. At least that I can remember, is what I would say. The double segment may have been the best thing on Raw. KO was just... Straight up hilarious the entire time. <laughs> yeah, and look, I, I say it every week. Would you like to see Kevin Owens in a more high profile spot coming off of main eventing one night of WrestleMania? Yes, but that doesn't mean you can't enjoy what he's doing. And he is having a hell of a time doing this. Him and Chad Gable are incredible together. Uh, him on commentary during the match, probably a bit much. But I loved it. I loved the line where he said, I live near Elias's parents in Orlando. And they they never said that they had another kid. He says to Byron, he goes, Byron, if that if that is an, if that even is your real name, which it's not, his real name is Brian. <laughs> so I just <laughs> this uh whole thing was funny. Again, look, you can just do funny bits. And if, if they're funny and they land, it's all it needs to be. That's what it is. Every week. Great stuff. That's true. On SmackDown, we had Kofi Kingston against Butch. Kofi at the SOS late for a 2.9. Sheamus got Butch going with a fight night chant. 
He had an insiguri. Kofi caught him with a double stomp. Ridge Holland jumped on the ring apron. Sheamus took him down with a bro kick. Kingston knocked Sheamus off the apron, and Butch took advantage of the distraction with bitter end for the win in eight minutes. Then Butch jumped over the barricade and ran up into the stairs into the bomb. Then he came back down at the top of the stage and celebrated with the Eastie Boys. I don't necessarily mind Butch beating a former WWE champion. I do mind commentary not making a bigger deal of it after the bell. They did mention Kofi's resume before the match, but for Butch to win and hit his finisher, Pat McAfee didn't know what it was, the finisher, even though Butch was in his group in NXT and has always used bitter end. That was weird also. The wrestling was strong, as could be expected with these two, but this feud is completely wearing on me. The heels won a tables match last week, and they had the numbers <laughs> advantage. What else is there to do here? This just needs to end. I'm totally done with it. I'm going to say good because of the action and Butch getting a win over Kofi, and it was also protecting Kofi because of Sheamus and Rich Holland interfering. But nevertheless, this just needs to end. I, I don't care about this at all. And that has nothing to do with the guys involved who are all extremely talented, put on a perfectly fine match. I just don't care anymore. There's there's nothing going on. They're just fighting every week and that's it. Nothing's changing. They do a tables match. I think we said last week, we said that should be the end of it now. It's not the end of it. They're just continuing to do nothing. I don't care. I, I, I guess I'm going to give it a bad, but that's not really the fault of any of them. I just don't care about this at all. Okay. I think it's a little unfair, but that's fine. So Mustafa Ali fought Veer Mahan on Raw, but that was not the originally scheduled match. It was supposed to be Ali against Theory in a non-title match that was not a championship contenders match, which didn't make any sense. So Theory comes down, he cuts a promo, first saying he wants to ensure it's fairly contested. So then Miz comes down as a special guest referee. Then Theory said Ali should expect the unexpected, uh, like Vince McMahon taught him, and he introduced Veer as his opponent instead. My heart sank. Uh, Miz kept getting in Ali's way and shoved him, allowing Veer to hit the million dollar arm and the cervical clutch for the win in two minutes and 40 seconds. They all took selfies. Veer was ready to put Ali through the announce table when the Mysterios made the save. You got to appreciate truly horrible booking sometimes. Like you really, really need to like tip your cap when it's this bad. WWE brings back Ali, pushes him and puts him in position to be number one contender for the United States Championship. Doesn't give him the match has him lose to Champa and Veer while Theory and Miz mock him. The Mysterios return, it does even the sides and it makes sense, but WWE is actively crushing the positive momentum Ali had upon his return with this booking. The end of this with the Mysterios, it redeemed it a little bit, but I have to say ugly because of the way I viscerally reacted. The second Theory grabbed the, like as soon as he introduced Miz, and then he started talking again. I'm like, Veer's coming out and he's going to squash Ali. I knew it was going to happen. It happened. It was completely unnecessary. Veer should have been kicking his ass when the Mysterios came in for the disqualification, setting up a potential six-man match. There was no reason to have Ali lose here and look the way he did. Straight up ugly. Zero point zero. Zero point zero, Mr. Lutarski. We got the 0.0s lined up correctly now this week. We do. See. So I, I'm i giving this a bad. I hated some of it. I didn't hate other parts of it. The overall booking is terrible. To have Ali in this position as the number one contender for the US title, and then you're just knocking him down several pegs to do a tag match to maybe get him back into the, the US title match. It's an annoying path. But 
I did not expect Veer to come out when Austin Theory was talking about that. And so when he did, I was like, oh, we're about to get Veer against a real opponent for the first time. I'm intrigued. Mm. And so they start and we actually have to see Veer selling for the first time and wrestling someone who can who's on the roster. And I thought the match was it, obviously it was interference, stuff like that. But I thought it was fine for what it was trying to do. And then I really like when they take the 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 uh, selfie at the end. I just like I said earlier, when I like faces that team up that aren't really connected except for a hatred of one thing. It's the same with the heels. We, we, we've got three heels now who we're kind of together and, and, and one not. I would love Miz Theory and Veer as a team. Like, I just, I, it, it's different. It's something going on. But overall, yes, for, 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 for Ali to come back and getting some momentum and then to just kind of be doing this whole thing and we're going to do a six-man, eh, whatever. I, that's, I'm, I'm giving it a bad. Okay, so not as bad as I thought, but still bad. All right. Uh, Ricochet told Drew Gulak backstage on SmackDown to keep his head up because he knows what it's like to deal with tough tough times in WWE. No shit. Uh, he said Gulak <laughs> was in control of his own destiny, and Gulak said he'd put Gunther in his place next time he saw him. He turned the corner, and of course, Gunther was standing right there. He tore off Gulak's shirt and hit a huge chop. There was nothing wrong with this, so it's good, but it was the only time we saw Ricochet on the show. This guy so far has defended against Zane, who he beat for the title, Jinderball, and Shanky. How about we develop a real intercontinental championship feud for the intercontinental champion? That's a frustration. But this segment, which is what we're grading here, this was a good. I told you, Ricochet is the Falcon of WWE. He's not doing anything important and no one takes him seriously. Um, I don't even feel like grading this. It was just like a whatever thing. If, if, if Gulak versus Gunther is the feud. Okay, but. The Intercontinental Champion has something going on. I don't know. I, I didn't hate it, but I didn't care about this at all. I, I guess I'll, I'll give it a, the very little edge over good instead of bad, just because it wasn't offensive. All right, couple more things here. Let's do it on a sprint. Get out of here. Lacey Evans was introduced. There we go. Live on Raw as quote, mother, wife, daughter, United States Marine, and WWE superstar. Unquote. She shouted out the armed forces on the mic and asked for a round of applause for them. The crowd chanted USA. She thanked the fans for the warm welcome, thanked the troops again for their service, and gave what was supposed to be an inspirational speech before delivering the better than line that we've come to know and somewhat like, somewhat dislike. The positives here are this was clearly a face segment and promo. No question about that. Whether WWE botched that SmackDown introduction a couple weeks ago, or the original plan was for her to be a heel and the reaction to it was so poor that they've switched, that's unknown at this time. But it is exceptionally strange that they spent five weeks promoting her on SmackDown for her to be now a Raw superstar. It's even stranger given we just spoke earlier in the show about how deep the Raw women's roster is for them to make it that much deeper with a relatable Lacey Evans character, as opposed to her going on SmackDown and actually blossoming potentially there because she'd have more television time. I was really mixed about this entire thing, Chris. On one hand, the promo was a total eye roll with Lacey trying to get cheap pop after cheap pop. It was so indulgent. But on the other hand, she actually sounded like a normal human being 
maybe for the first time in her entire WWE career. So I'm going to surprise myself and say good here, but I'm warning everyone. This is a warning for the future. If we get the same over the top shit again, it will be an automatic bad for this one time because they seem to go away from the heel stuff. They let her talk. She seemed kind of normal. The presentation was solid. She got a solid reaction. I'm going to say good, but really when we talk about tentative goods on the show, this is a tentative good. I can't believe this is something you're giving a good after shitting on this whole thing for weeks. Because I judge the I judge the individual segment, not the I overall. Know, I, I know, but this didn't this didn't build on anything. It didn't provide anything new. It just brought more confusion after what happened in the in the previous. See, I one. disagree. I think it clarified. That's that's why I'm it, giving no, it a good because it clarified for me. No, the next time will be clarification. She's gone <laughs> face, maybe heel face. We need two in a row to fully understand what this is. But yeah, it was incredibly self-indulgent promo. Give a hand for the troops like three times. Like, okay, I, it didn't, nothing happened. She didn't do anything. Like I, I, I much preferred the pre-tape promos where she gave us her story. Oh God, and those I, are so I, it, much worse than no, this. It, 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 it was too many of them and they were over the top sometimes, but they at least told us something. Something happened. So I connected with Lacey Evans because she went through something terrible and I felt bad for her. It's something. Not didn't have to like it, but it's something. This was nothing. This was nothing. I'm giving this a bad. And this is someone who liked those Lacey Evans promos. She just got to do something now. We're going on a month and a half plus of this, and we have no idea what she's doing. She's now made two live appearances with zero opponents showing up. Like, they, they clearly switched at the last second and said, now nah, we're not going to do SmackDown, we're going to do Raw. So now they got to, like, have some sort of plan with her. What's next? Like, you told us the Lacey Evans story. You got people behind her. Now let's do something with it. This is two times in a row that they haven't done anything with it. So I'm, I'm giving it a bad, actually. Okay, no, that's fine. I think, we, I think we're saying similar things. We're just on opposite ends of, like, what we appreciate about it. I think it clarified yeah. things. If she comes out next week and is a baby face and wrestles and wins and doesn't do the same type of promo, I'm going to be fine with it. But if every single yeah. time we see Lacey Evans, she's like, she wins a match, grabs a mic. Thank you all for your support. Now let's cheer for the troops. Like I'm going to be, I already am out on this, by the way. I'm out on Lacey Evans. I'm just talking about the segment that was good, but I'm going to be so freaking critical of it if this is what we're going to get every single time. But if this was just like we botched her reintroduction, we gave it a week, and then we did a reintroduction here the right way, the way we wanted to do it. If that's what it was, I'm just going to give them like, all right, you know what? It was fine. Let's move on and see what happens. So it's like the complete opposite of it's a complete opposite of Alexa Bliss, who's there wrestling for no explanation. Lacey Evans not is only explanation with right. no wrestling. Right, exactly. And by the way, one of them should be on SmackDown, at least, yes. if not both. By the way, all right, uh, two more things. Let's let's do these quick. Madcap Moss on SmackDown kept insulting Happy Corbin during an in-ring interview. Hardly got any reaction. He said his WWE career was just getting started. Corbin attacked him, wrapped a chair around his neck, and slammed it shut with the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal Trophy. This thing legitimately closed around his neck. It looked gnarly. Moss got stretchered out. I was ready to give this an ugly because the promo was truly horrendous. And it's another Corbin storyline going on way, way too long. But the attack was so violent that it actually saved this a little bit. So instead of ugly, I'm going to say bad. Maybe the worst part 
is that Moss got augmented reality emojis added to his entrance. So I guess we can completely forget about any prayers we had of a gimmick change or a name change for this guy. Yes. Um, especially, I mean, he also said he wants to team up with Sasha Banks and do Madcap Boss. So clearly they're sticking with it. I did actually like the idea of championship suspenders. That actually was funny. But overall, I don't care about this. It's the same thing with, with New Day and, and Sheamus and all them. It's just the same thing every week for no discernible reason other than we don't like them. And look, the the attack was gnarly. I'm going to do a bad instead of an ugly for the same reason. But like, I don't care. Like, let's do something different now. I'm bored of this. We're just going to keep getting the same thing week after week. And it's one of the reasons SmackDown has been rough because they're not doing anything different. So, bad. And then lastly, there were some more backstage 24-7 shenanigans on Raw with divorces, R-Truth wanting the title. Dana Brooke accidentally ran into Carmella who tore her down verbally. Dana said the last time Ella was relevant was with James Ellsworth around, which is a pretty good line. Uh, she also made some remark about Graves. R-Truth ran up looking for Dana. Mella promised to help him win the title back as long as she gets Brooke when the time is right. This whole thing was messy. It's not even worth our time discussing further. As I've said, good one week, bad the next. Never good enough to justify being on television. It was bad this week. I actually thought this was fine. <laughs> because it got it because it got serious. The the menging, the chinless guy. I didn't I didn't realize I was trying to figure out who that was. You saying James Ellsworth made me realize that. That was great. Dana saying Corey Graves couldn't cut it. I like that. There was an edge to this that we never get with this 24-7 stuff. Um, so I look again, it's not much of anything, but I was interested. And they teased something down the line of like, hey, truth, I want I want Dana Brooke at some point. So like it sets some things up. So I'm I'm gonna give it a like good. I appreciate the effort. The only real positive is that they're moving away from the marriage love bullshit. That's that's, was, yeah. that's the biggest thing I can take away from it, honestly. Yeah. Rest, uh, sorry to hear about the, the divorce news for those uh, for those folks. Yes, yes. Run. Two long-term relationships just absolutely ravaged by WWE booking. That was the good, the bad, and the ugly, which means that was the WWE edition of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. Now in the books, we will be back on Thursday with our next show covering all things AEW and NXT. As Chris mentioned earlier, there is some news out there about MJF and a contract dispute with AEW. That is big news in its own right. Something that makes it a little bit different is his contract doesn't expire for two years. So we can talk about it theoretically every single episode for the next two years if he doesn't resign. And it's pretty much going to be the exact same thing for, you know, multiple episodes of this podcast, but because we have not yet discussed it, we will talk about it for the first time on Thursday. We'll go over uh, the reporting on MJF situation, the reporting on Tony Khan, and my thoughts on what AEW and Tony Khan need to do for him if they want to retain MJF. And if you want a little spoiler alert on that, you can check our Twitter feed at Getting Overcast, where I believe it was on Saturday or Sunday, I went off on a little bit of a mini rant about this very situation. So don't forget, join us on Thursday when we talk AEW and NXT. Do not forget to join us. Same bat time, same bat channel one week from now for our next WWE edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. And please do not forget that this show, Getting Over, 
So head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave a five-star rating on Apple. Also leave a review. Let people know why you listen to the show, why you subscribe, and why they should listen as well. Thank you all for listening. Thanks again to Vintage Chris Benini for joining me. With all of that now said, Silver King is going to leave you with just three final words. Bye for now.